Your time is now. The world needs leaders. It's up to you to answer the call. Be better in business. Be better in life. Joined by our host, Chris Book. This is Leading by the Book. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Leading by the Book. I'm not really sure what episode number this is, but that is irrelevant because we have a wonderful, wonderful guest in studio sitting across from me. And if I am correct, I believe it is his first time on a podcast. It is. And that man is Tim Barrett. Welcome. Wow. Thank you. So Tim and I uh, have known each other for probably, I'm going to say six months, might be a little longer. I think it was a little longer than that, probably, actually. End of last summer. And uh, a lot of you may know, um, the the millions and millions of listeners, that is, may know, (laughs) that um, I recently exited the consulting world after being in that um, for for a little bit of time there, during a little bit of a a hiatus in my life. And I re-entered the corporate world for a variety of reasons, Um, one being that I really, really missed working in organizations and, and leading teams and things like that. But two, because I somehow found a really cool company uh, here in Phoenix where, where we relocated that had a great group of people and people that I really wanted to work with. And uh, that company is Raceway Express Car Wash. And Tim is the founder and CEO of Raceway. And to put it simply, we wash cars. Yes. And we needed some adult supervision. There's that. I'm not sure Chris, how much of that I can really lend. Chris is the adult supervision. <laughs> But we uh, we have a lot of fun, and I can say I have an absolute blast going to work every day. And one of the reasons that I wanted Tim to come on the show, beyond just the fact that, that we work together every day, uh, we spend a lot of time together, is that even even before Raceway became an option for, for us to work together, uh, Tim was somebody that really impressed me. We're part of a group here locally. We meet on, on Wednesday morning. It's a men's group, and we talk about faith and business and different issues we're having in our lives. And it's just been a really awesome group to be a part of. And and Tim was somebody that I, I was drawn to right away. And, and we started having a lot of conversations. We have a lot of shared interest. We're probably the only people we know that actually do meditate. Yes. Which I suppose... Actually, is- that's a funny story. Go on. Well, what was it? The, like the first day I met you? It was probably day one. Yeah. It was probably day one. It's probably day one. What did you, what did you ask me? If you, you I, meditate... <laughs> Yeah, you did. We're, having, we're sitting there having a regular conversation, and he looks me dead in the eye, and he says, <laughs> do you meditate? And of course, I had to say yes. Yeah, and, and to this day, I think you're the only other person I know that actually does. But uh, it, it, it shows. You're, you're very zen. Um, I wish I was more zen. I'm a little bit more on the aggression side, I yes. suppose. Um, maybe, that's the, <laughs> maybe that's the title of this podcast, Zen Aggression. That's right, Zen Aggression. Maybe we go with that. But but where I was going with this is as I got to know you a little bit, I think you have you have a really cool uh, story um, going going back to growing up and just as, you, as you've talked about your life a little bit and into where you've gotten and what you do now, it's it's a pretty cool story and and it's something I think a lot of people can benefit from. So let's go back to the beginning. Okay, where where did where did things start for uh, for young Tim Barrett and how did you get to where you're at right now? Oh, geez. That's sort, sort of a long answer. All the way to the beginning? Um, well, it, it depends how, how far back Let's, to the beginning you want to go. We'll go. We'll go we'll, <clears throat> I'll give you the brief beginning uh, because I think it is relevant. Um, so I was, I, was, I, was a, I was an accident. I was born to teenage parents. They were 16 and 17. Uh, when they found out that, uh, that uh, I was coming into the world, 
And um, interestingly, they're still married, which is very unique these days. Uh, very loving parents. That alone is actually pretty remarkable. It is. They were teenagers. It. That's and, very cool. And and had 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 me and and uh, we uh, we lived with my uh, my my grandma, my grandpa, my mom, my dad, and two uncles. One I have an uncle who's really more kind of like a brother. He's he's only five and a half years older than I am. So when I was born, we all lived there. And then I have an uncle who's older than my mom. So at the time, he was probably maybe 20 or so. And we all lived in the time, at the time in a single-wide modular home on 11 acres in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And we were there for the first two years of my life. So I don't suppose you remember any of that. Um, I don't really remember any of that. I've uh, been told a lot of stories about that. And there's a lot of... I used to love being there. My grandparents sold the place. Oh. Ten years ago or something like that. But I used to love being up there. 11 acres in the mountains, though? That yeah. There's a little bit of paradise in that. It was great. Yeah, it was beautiful. Look, Overlooked this this kind of empty valley of, of rolling hills and oak trees. It's great. And uh, so anyway, my my dad had numerous jobs ended up uh finally settling into a career with uh Nabisco. Uh he's been there most of his life through several different ownerships. Um they're now owned by uh Mondelez. Uh used to be Kraft. Before that it was RJR. Yep. And uh he was a truck driver most of my life when I was a kid, which meant he went to went to work crazy early. And he got home equally early, probably worked 12-hour days, but he was home by 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and we played baseball. And he was really into sports and baseball, and I wasn't, but I played anyway <laughs> uh, until I broke his heart in high school. So that's, that's, that's a short version of, of my childhood. I got a brother and a sister. They're both uh, a bit younger than I am. My... Younger brother is uh, five and a half years younger than I am. And my sister, um, she's eight years younger than I am. So I sort of I sort of grew up like an only child-ish. No. I grew up an only child. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I also, I suppose, probably the worst, too. Um, yeah, that's questionable. <laughs> um, but I guess, so yeah, di- diving into that, though... It, what what are the lessons or the things that shaped you take away from that? From from seeing your dad work such long days, but the fact that you still had seemingly a good relationship with him, you spent a lot of time with him. Mm-hmm. It does seem like there have to be a variety of lessons that came out of that that have been very beneficial. I had a great dad. He worked hard. And I remember when I was first starting out uh, in, my, in my career, um, very first job I ever had, he said, he said, your company doesn't owe you anything. And what he meant by that was, you got to bust your ass. And yeah. they don't owe you anything. And we just work hard. Um, I, I was uh, a bit more ambitious, um, a bit more ambitious than he was. But uh, I remember 
What was that? Was that ambition something they encouraged though, or was that something you arrived at on your own? Man, I don't know. I don't know. I I remember being a teenager. Uh, my 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 parents are pretty timid people. Very kind, you know, but they're not they're not they're not taking life by the horns. You know what I mean? Um. 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 When I was. When I was late teenage, late teens, still in high school, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do when I grow up? And college was out of the question. My parents didn't have the money for college. I didn't even know how to go to college. You know, it seems like a yeah. funny thing to say, but that just nobody went to college. So I didn't, we, I didn't even know what that meant. So where, where you grew up in, in, in that community, it was just... Not not even a conscious thought for a lot of people. It was out of their mind completely. Well, no, some kids were. In fact, I remember I remember in junior high, uh, one of my uh, one of my school counselors said, "Are you going to go to college?" And I said, "I don't know." And so they put me on the not going to college track, which meant I took a different set of classes. And and uh, I suppose if I would have answered that question differently, they would put me on a different track. Okay, so I, I got to understand this here for a minute. And, and we actually, in, in, that, in that group that I alluded to earlier, um, am I allowed to say the name, or is it some kind of secret thing? It's definitely a secret society. Okay, okay good enough. So that, that organization that I will not name, <laughs> we actually got into, I'm not going to say a heated debate, because it, it was a very respectful debate, but a, a deep debate about whether or not college is actually worth it. And there were, there were a large number of people in that group that are, Highly educated, very successful, at least by the world standards, who had had said, "Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure I I even want to send my kids to college." In the sense, I don't know if it's yeah. I was actually I was in an island. You were. I was in an island in that conversation. You were, and 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 frankly, where I'm at, I'm I'm actually not sure. Sure. Of the value in it. Yeah. Well, I knew that from the conversation. <laughs> yeah, that that became pretty clear. <laughs> but but you know, we have millions and millions of listeners that I'm sure are interested in in where we fell on that, but. The question is, I'm I'm very interested going back to that time because whether or not you know those of us now well, that, that think we're smart say college isn't isn't valuable, it, and I think this was part of it. I think this was part of it. When when I was a teenager, I remember thinking, okay, I my dream was to have my wife be able to stay home with my kids if she wanted. My mom stayed home; she did daycare with us, but we we didn't have much, and I I kind of wanted you know a little bit more and and just for my wife to be able to stay home. And I thought. In order to do that, I gotta, I gotta make a hundred grand. That's what I was trying to figure out. What high school kid has that thought? Like that's an advanced thought for a high school kid. I don't know. I was nuts. Maybe I, I don't know. What listened to too much Zig Ziglar or something? <laughs> but anyway, I'm sitting on my bed. I, I, speci- I, I distinctly remember this, and I'm doing the math, and I'm thinking in high school. You're 16 years old doing this math. I'm in high school. Yeah. I'm I'm doing the math. I'm thinking, okay, my dad makes $18 an hour doing the math. Like, no, that doesn't work. Okay, my uncle, he's a carpenter. He makes $25 an hour. Like, no, that doesn't work. Well, I know my dad's friend, uh, he's an electrician. I think he makes $35 an hour, which why I knew what all these people made an hour was is kind of strange <laughs> to begin with, but but I did. And 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 I remember going through that and getting back to my point about the college thing, my world was small. You know, uh, that sounds terrible. 
No, it's, it, it, it makes perfect sense. My world was limited, right? So the, sure. the, the opportunities that I could see around me to say I could emulate that were, were limited. And for some reason, I knew what real estate agents made. They make a percentage of how much something sells for. And so I'm doing that math. And I'm like, well, I could do it that way. So I thought, I'm going to get into real estate. That's how it started. That's why I'm in real estate. <laughs> but I, I go back to that guidance counselor. Though. Actually, I wash cars, but... And I, and I love when you say that. And, you know, what people don't realize that, yes, you wash cars, but I, I guess the, the company now is the seventh or eighth, depending on what you look at, seventh or eighth largest car wash chain in the country. And Tallest midget in the circus. So, yeah. I, I think it's impressive. We'll get, we'll get back to that. But I'm curious, though, go, going back to that guidance counselor, because, you know, th- this, was, this was 20 years ago or so. And in those days, in those time I grew up, like, you know, e- even in, in small town Beloit, Wisconsin, where I grew up, which is not a wonderful place to live. It's a very, very blue collar town with, with a lot of issues. Um, not, not saying that a blue collar town is not a nice place to live, but I'm, I'm curious because it, it, even in that environment, there was such a push for people to go to college. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious that your guidance counselor see, you know, in that environment is like, all right, well, this kid's clearly smart. If you're sitting there calculating what it takes to make, oh, I, I didn't year, think I was very smart. You might not have thought and I got, that. I got but, bad grades. Okay, but I just from an interaction standpoint, I think any good guidance counselor should be able to see behind that. Nah. Maybe not in this case, <laughs> but but I would expect that. And I'm just, I think this is a serious leadership lesson for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And I guess after all, the show is about leadership. But when you're leading a team, your job is to see in people many times what they don't see in themselves. And I'm really curious how that guidance counselor was so quick to accept no, not going to college for an answer and write you off and put you on a different track versus actually spending the time to understand you and try to see beyond whatever grades you might have had or whatever. Because right. it's clear interacting with you. Like there, there is there's a high level of intelligence here. And okay, yeah, that was 20 years ago, but this stuff doesn't come overnight. Like, <laughs> like it, it had to be there at the beginning. So Right. Yeah, For no, some reason, I, that's just really eating at me here. Well, and you touched on something. I think that's what really drives me is seeing uh, seeing potential in people that they don't see in, the, in themselves. That that inspires me. Yeah, and, and like you you do read people very well. And you you know one of the things I think you spend a lot of time doing, maybe you don't give yourself credit for, is looking at skill sets of our team. We have people on our team now that are doing things completely different mm-hmm. than they might be doing here in a year. It's probably because you take a a hard look at that, but. Whether you're a baseball coach for kids, whether you're a guidance counselor, a teacher, running, whatever it is, taking things for, for what they are on the surface, I think, is, is a very dangerous thing to do. So, all right, so I'll, I'll, I'll take that guidance counselor off the hot seat here, even though. Well, you, you can put a, there was a professor, too. I don't know. This was in college. This was in high school. So there was a teacher who was not a professor. Um, and because I was in the, not not college track, right? Okay. So he actually highlighted it at one point was, hey, guys, you, if you're in this class, you're not going to college and you're probably not going to make you know very much money and just launched into this whole thing about how we were on the wrong track. And I was like, um, maybe it worked. Maybe, maybe, maybe he wasn't intending to discourage us. Um, but I've always thought back at that too. And I was like, screw that guy. You ever seen him since? Nope. I remember his name. <laughs> I'm tempted to give it out here right now. I don't want to say it in public. <laughs> it is a funny name, though. 
I'm going to chase this one down after the fact because I'd like to pay this person a visit. But nonetheless, <laughs> but like you know, that's I, I I get on this this tangent of like like for me, I'm obsessed with this idea of maximizing based upon abilities or blessing or inputs, whatever it is that you have, and it drives me nuts when when I think that I left something on the table in the sense of. <coughs> I could have I could have done more, I could have learned more, I could have read more, I could have written more, something more that, that I could have done. And it, it drives me nuts when when you see people to just limit this. You know, you, you know, you're a bad coach for eight year olds and mm-hmm. suddenly you have a guy that could have hit sixty three bombs in the big leagues that never picks up a baseball bat again because you had an ego trip when you were coaching eight year olds and you were reliving whatever glory days you might have had. Like stuff like that just really eats at me. And and I'm I'm probably being a little bit too fanatical about this, but you know when you're when you're a leader, when you're running a team, these things matter. Like your job right. is to get more out of people than they think they can get out of themselves. And so when you're a guidance counselor, just saying, okay, this guy said no, he's not going to college. It doesn't really matter what the kid says; it's what you see in them, right? That counts. That's my that's my hope. I mean, if we could use a car wash company to like raise up leaders to go on and do great things, whether with us or without us. Like that would, I'd, I'd get super excited about that. Yeah, and and I want to get I want to get back to that 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 car wash component because there are a lot of things within this company that are are different things that are very attractive. But so after high school though, yeah, what do high you school. Do? Uh, well, um, I took a break. So so. Actually, before before I had the whole math equation sitting in my bed trying to figure out, okay, this person make this much, and I'm going to go into real estate. I thought I was, I thought I wanted to be a youth pastor. Okay, um, and I wanted to go to Bible college, and then I just had this thought that wasn't what I was supposed to do, and so I was a little bit confused. Uh, I also didn't know how to apply for college, so I didn't. We moved. My parents, coincidentally, they sold their house in, I grew up in the Bay Area, just south of the Bay Area, and they sold their house. We moved to Reno. I went with them. I kind of wandered around a little bit. I took a couple community college courses here and there. I remember um, when I showed up with my high school transcripts and wanted to enroll in classes at this community college, they said, you know, um, we don't know what, what the heck your math class is. So you need to take this placement test. <clears throat> I tested into math um, 095, which was like remedial. I had to take like two remedial classes before I could get into college algebra. So you're like doing long division. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Okay, here, so here, here's, here's what I don't get on this. I was totally behind. So and I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal a little bit of the... Uh, of the suspense here. So y- years later, you ultimately ended up in real estate and, and, and we'll, we'll get to that more, but I've seen you at a whiteboard rattle off cap <laughs> rates and doing math in your head and, and, and stuff like that. This just doesn't add up to me. Yeah. I was a very timid kid. I still, I still am slightly. What was it that it took you longer to develop or was it that you just never got out of your shell? Um, yes. I think I was timid. I think I was not confident. I think um, um, yeah, I think it was some of that. Um, yeah, it just took me a while to 
figure out who I was, I guess. Okay. That's all right. So you're you're in Reno. You're taking Math 095. Yeah, Math 095. And uh, yeah, it was terrible. I had to take Math 095, Math 096, Math 105. I think 105 was technically a college course, but it was like the lowest math class, something like that. Uh, ended up moving to Tahoe, met my wife. Um, she's amazing. And, uh, you know what, like a lot of this is credit to her. Um, she really believed in me. Okay. So how, how did this meeting happen? Meeting my wife? Yeah. We met at church. Okay. Um, you want the real story? This might sound weird on your podcast. Of course I want the real story. Okay. You can filter it if you want. Um, so moved to Reno. Moved out with some friends. Uh, we lived in what I like to call the commune. There were 12 of us living in a five-bedroom house. And we were just screwing around, having fun, going ice blocking in the middle of the night, you know, playing capture the flag, just being really goofy <laughs> and uh, getting into good trouble. And um, one of the gals that lived with us was going to church in Tahoe. And we'd make fun of her. Why can't you find God in Reno? And finally, <laughs> we um, we decided, all right, we got to check this out. So a uh, buddy of mine, we, we went up there, uh, check out this church. And uh, and that's where that's when I met my wife. Uh, we, met, we met at that church. And I, I really enjoyed the church. Uh, so I moved up there. I had nothing else going. I moved to Tahoe. I was working at Safeway at the time. Uh, stocking shelves. Okay. Yep. Safeway in Tahoe? Uh, Safeway in Reno. Okay. And then Safeway in Tahoe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Been to that Safeway in Tahoe a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So most of my family, um, well, actually, most of my family are police officers. Okay. Uh, but a significant portion of them have or do uh, work for Safeway. In, well, in, that part of, in that part of the country, Safeway is dominant. Yeah. 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 So <coughs> I worked there for five years in different cities. Okay. And um, moved to Reno, or I'm sorry, moved to Tahoe, met my wife. And the short version is as things started getting serious, realized, oh, shoot, I forgot to go to college. I never figured out how. And, um, I mean, I took like the remedial courses and stuff. I was a fire science major for a while, but most of what I took at the junior colleges or the community colleges didn't count. So we moved to Phoenix where my wife's from and, uh, I went to Paradise Valley community college and then ASU. But you said that a lot of this, (coughs) a lot of this was, was driven by, by, by your wife, Stacy. So Mm -hmm. Where where did this come from? You were alluding to the fact, I think, that she saw something in you, saw saw whether yeah. it was ambition or capability or aptitude, whatever that is. So how did she draw that out of you? I remember talking to her. Uh, this is when we were still in Tahoe and I was working at the grocery store. And um, I had shared with her my dream of maybe I could, maybe I could, you know, get into real estate. 
and her, her family is very entrepreneurial and um uh, i remember her saying oh how'd it go i remember i think she she began to slowly draw it out of me she's like well yeah you could sell the house but maybe you could build one too i was like yeah i could i could build a house and then she draw out of me and maybe you could build a few houses I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe I could build a few of them, you know, over a lifetime is what I'm thinking. And she's like, at the same time, like, (laughs) you know, so she's just slowly drawing out of me, like expanding my world bigger and bigger. But she's making you believe along the way. Yes. Yeah. And then we moved to Phoenix and, um, you know, uh, one one book that was actually really um, opened my mind a lot was actually Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. And I realized a lot of uh, what he says in that book, um, I believed. Meaning, like, the poor dad side mm-hmm. that I believed and that I had to change my mind to, you know, rich dad. Yeah. Thinking. Okay, so so you get to Arizona. You're starting to believe now. You, you've, you've got this in your head that this fire's been lit. You yeah. end up, you, you, you go to PV Community College. You end up at ASU. Yeah, start to finish, once I actually had a plan, I graduated in three years. Okay. We were on a flat run. And so, so here's a question. So you, you were a little bit older when, when you were at ASU. How old were you? When you were 22. Here? You were 22 at ASU? When I started, when 25 started. when I graduated. Okay, so you're about, you know, about three years older than most people there. Yep. Because you had, you had lived a little bit, you, you'd been out on your own a little bit more. Did you find that time more valuable than most of the kids that were were there with you at the time? I just did that weird thing. Oh, the yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I, like I was on a flat run, so. You were laser focused. I was. I, I was laser focused. I mean, Stacy and I were very serious. We got married a year into being uh, in college. Uh, we had a, uh, my first son a year uh, after that, and I graduated a year after that. And my goal was to get out of college before he even remembered that I wasn't around. Yeah. Um, during that time, not only was I going to school more than full time, I was working two jobs more than full time and kind of started flipping houses a little bit, um, you know, our own house. So we'd yeah. like buy something, fix it up, sell it. And we did that three or four times, um, while in college. So during, I remember, um, you know, my wife, she's just always been an encouragement and, uh, I'm, I'm a very, uh, while I am Zen, I'm also very fragile, and so um, I remember just falling apart one day. I'm like, ah, I can't keep up with all this, you know. And so you got the two jobs, and you're in school. And two jobs in school, flipping houses. You know, like one. got a, you know, got a one year old son. By the time I graduated, <clears throat> and and she said, soon this will all just be a bad dream. I'm like, okay, all right. 
Fortunately, no one's ever asked to see my grades. That's been good. Yeah, but that's such a so we but before we started recording here, and I'm seeing over there now, you, you've got the you've got one of my stoicism books sitting in front of you. That is a very stoic response to that. Yeah. It, it is. You know, even looking back, um, you know, the Super Bowl this year, one of the guys from the Rams gets up at the podium after they lost. And he's like, you know, didn't really want to lose, but you know what? We're all gonna die. That's right. And you know, I think a lot of people came out and was like, wow, that, that guy's nuts or he's he's really dark or whatever, but that's that's sort of in in a weird way what Stacey was saying. This this will pass. Yeah. And, and you know, when when you're in the midst of those struggles, it's very easy to dig yourself into a hole and and you can dig yourself into a hole such that you don't take action, that you become paralyzed by it. Right. Keeping that perspective that this either is going to pass or Worst case, at some point, I will no longer be on this earth. Right. That actually makes things better. It's funny that you say that because I actually, I, I frequently say none of us are getting out of here alive. We're not. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I am, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I, I know Elon's probably working on this right now, or actually it seems more like a Peter Thiel thing, but we're we're not going to get out of here alive and well we work as hard as we can on a lot of things every day it doesn't necessarily matter sometimes it matters a lot in the moment mm-hmm. but when you go outside at night and you just kind of look at how big the the sky is and all that this this isn't as big as we make it out to be sometimes and it's right. kind of like control what you can control do the right things right but whatever's imposed on you by the world right not really as bad as it might seem. Right. Okay, so you get out of ASU. Yep. You're flipping houses still. Uh, I flipped a couple houses, yeah. Okay. But mostly, so um, by the time I got out of ASU, I was working for, uh, so I, I saw, so I wanted to be a developer, right? My wife's planted that seed. That's what I thought. I thought I want to be a real estate developer. And, so, so here's the question. Yeah. Did she plant that seed or was that seed in you and she essentially watered it? Well, the real estate seed was in me. I thought, that's how I'm going to support my family. I'm going to be in real estate. And I think she planted the, maybe you could not just sell it, but you could build it. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, and then the, the, you know, the whole rich dad, poor dad thing, like that was sure monumental. Right. So, so, so that's more of a, you could own it, you know, keep it and start building streams of cash flow. Uh, so I saw three ways into that. Um, I saw three ways into that really. Um, cause you gotta have some way to cover the overhead personally. So I thought, okay, I could, I could either be a real estate broker. Um, right. So no longer I'm going to sell houses. I was, you know, she's got my vision up. I'm going to, going to commercial real estate, right? So I worked for a real estate broker trying to figure out if that's what I liked. Uh, or I could uh, uh, work for a builder. I thought, you know, general contracting, third party, cover the personal overhead personally that way, buy a piece of dirt, build a building, own it, build streams of cash flow. So I thought that was the second way I could do it. And the third way I could do it, I thought was getting into the financing aspect. So I actually did all three. Uh, in college, I worked for the broker. I didn't like that. That didn't fit my personality. 
Um, after college, I worked for a builder. Uh, we were building little seven to 15,000 square foot industrial buildings and selling them. And uh, this is before the market crashed. <clears throat> Uh, and then we got into third-party general contracting kind of as the market was crashing. And then I thought I got to figure out how, how these people get these things financed. Uh, so actually when the market crashed, this is actually kind of a funny story too. I, I, um, had an opportunity to go work for a bank, uh, actually a pretty large bank in their commercial real estate group. And, uh, cause I wanted to see how, how these deals get get done. Those were the three, three ways I thought I could, that I could go do what I wanted to do. Okay. So, so you're doing this, you're, you're learning all these different sides of this business market crashes. Yep. Then what? Uh, actually before the market crashed, one of the partners at the, uh, uh, little development company I was working for, my intention was to buy out those partners hmm. at, at some point. I didn't know how to do it. I just, that's what I had in my head. I, you know, I wanted to buy them out. Um, they were getting older and my, my hope was, you know, I could take their book of business and continue to, to grow it. Uh, as the market was crashing, I realized, or starting to slow, this is like 2007. I started to realize, yeah, this probably isn't going to happen. 2008, starting to slow even more. I'm seeing, you know, uh, our pipeline of work starting to slow down. And uh, the one of the partner's brothers came to him and said, uh, he worked he worked for the bank. And he said, hey, we're, we're looking for, um, we're looking for somebody uh, in our construction risk group. They and do you know anybody? And, he's, and he said, well, we're not looking to get rid of Tim, but he's looking for opportunity. Uh, wanted to talk to him. So I actually started with J.P. Morgan Chase in their commercial real estate group a week before Lehman Brothers failed. Oh, boy. Yeah. And so I get this job. You know, I'm super excited. I'm going to get to learn how these deals get financed. <clears throat> and... I'm in training. I know nothing. And they call us in a little room and they tell us Lehman Brothers has failed and we need to go through our portfolio and figure out where our exposure is to them. And I th I'm thinking, well, who the heck are those guys and what do I care about them? I knew nothing. And, uh, uh, you know, the market's going up and down and just everything's going haywire and, you know, stop lending and all this stuff. And then, a week later, they eliminated an entire floor of my counterparts. And I'm thinking, what the heck did I get myself into? Oh, uh, so that was, that was exciting. I thought I was going to lose my job, but then we bought, uh, uh, we bought uh, the bank. Not me, but the bank bought uh, Washington Mutual. And we started digging through their portfolio and finding some really interesting stuff. If, if I'm going back to that, and this is a little bit unrelated, but... Was was WAMU the deal that was pushed on Chase by the government? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they had to do it, um, or I don't. I don't know the circumstances of it. Could have been. Yeah. 
Okay, so you're at Chase. You're you're you're, you're learning this business, seeing how how the ins and outs work. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Uh, well, so I let's see what happened first. I think I I started buying houses when the market crashed because like I finally I, I I'd wanted to like buy a house to rent, you know, to mm-hmm. have some cash flow before the market crashed. And, uh, I remember this guy, this is when stuff was crazy hot. I remember this guy, I, you know, he's got this, I don't, I don't remember how I found him, like advertisement on TV or something like that. And he was like, I'll show you how to invest in real estate. And so he's really a real estate broker and he, he's sending, he's sending me listings and, and he, he sits down with me and he says, well, how much cash do you have? How much credit card availability do you have? How much everything do you have? And he shows me this deal, and he says, you got to act now. Do you want to buy it? And so I've always been somewhat analytical, and the math thing was funny, um, right? Because I had remedial courses, and then I go on to, I got a, you know, my degree is in global business with an emphasis in finance. So <clears throat> polar opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, a little here. bit. So, but anyway, I'm, 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 I'm fairly analytical. So the he says, you want to buy this deal? So the first thing I do is I pull out a spreadsheet, run, start running the numbers. And I'm like, I'm going to lose like $250 a month. I don't, I don't want to do that. And he got so mad at me. He's like, this is an opportunity and you're totally passing it up. And I can't waste sending people opportunities if they're not going to purchase them when I send them to them. And I was like, oh, okay. So I felt like about that big. And uh, so anyway, fast back forward uh, to where we were. Finally, they started making sense, right? Because you could buy these things for like 30 cents on the dollar for what they were before. And, you know, so I started buying houses, cashed out my 401k and, you know, bought a couple of houses. I didn't have a ton of money and ran out of money. And so circled some friends and family and said, hey, here's the opportunities and here's what we could do. And by that time, I'd started to see how the real estate syndicators that we supported at the bank were, were doing things. Uh, and and I, I realized something clicked. It seemed like there was a switch in confidence here along the way, too. Oh, 100%. 100%. Actually, uh, our secret society we were referring to earlier, yeah, uh, that was born out of another secret society. And actually, it sounds entirely too cryptic, cryptic to call them secret societies. I kind of like it, though. Yeah, that's kind of fun. I, They're it not gives a little societies. bit of mystique. It's, uh, it's Phoenix. Nothing that interesting happens in Phoenix. No, but there should. Like, we should start these rumors. So just to make it more interesting but yeah, so we'll go with that. yeah so there was there was uh there was a conference right that that they put on <coughs> and i got selected to go to this conference and and it was real real confidence booster um it's where i began to reach out to mentors and learn and all sorts of stuff so you're just hungry to to soak in everything you can at this part soak up everything you can right right yeah but there there was I don't know what the start of it was. If we, if we back up on the mentor thing, I remember uh, my wife had already, always encouraged me to, to find people and go to coffee with them and things of that sort. And I was always timid. I don't want to bother anyone. And the broker that I worked for in college, uh, he was actually one of my first mentors, right? So I'd, I'd you know, ask him if, if I could take him to lunch, you know, every other month or so and kind of pick his, pick his brain on, on stuff. He was, 
he was successful and <coughs> he had good family and you know so someone i admired and the only thing i actually really remember still is um he would always tell me to put my family first always um so that started the whole confidence thing i think right yeah. so reaching out to people and realizing that people want to help isn't it amazing how you're not a burden we we build this up in our heads that oh totally. uh, they're, they're never gonna make time for me or I, i'm cluttering up their inbox or whatever yeah, yeah it's amazing that when you start asking people their opinion or right. ask them to tell their story it's amazing how willing people are to share truly valuable gold nuggets with you people want to help i mean th- I, I think about it at, at you know, my phase of life now, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like when somebody reaches out to me and says, Hey, would you, you know, have coffee with me? I got this going on. And, and, you know, I just would like to get your perspective on that. Or, or I, you know, it's like, wow, this person, this person <laughs> looks up to me or looks at me in this way. Of course I want to help this person, you know, especially if they're, uh, you know, if they've got stuff together and my, know, my first instinct to, or my first response is typically, yeah, absolutely. And my second one is, <coughs> the hell do they want to know from me i know seriously <laughs> i guess it's funny our, our, but it's an honor it's an honor it is you know but I, mean? I still feel like i'm a 21 year old college kid sometimes well, i do too and may, maybe that's a good thing but yeah. and, and i guess in you know we, we've both been very lucky to see a lot of things yeah and, and you know i guess i look at that and i don't think it's it's necessarily because of anything i've done skill wise at least in my perspective i feel like i've just been in the right place at the right time and had a lot of great people looking out for me Right. But if I can make that valuable for other people, then at least I'm making good on on some of the things I've been given. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this is like a this is like a uh, uh, the way in which I live my life. I th- I think about this. If if you don't know where you're going, there isn't anybody in the world that can tell you how to get there. But if you do know kind of where you want to go, even if you don't know how to get there, you can start to ask people, and they're usually pretty friendly you know, to want to help. Yeah. I mean, if you like cold call somebody and you're like, Hey, I want to pick your brain. But if you even remotely have an acquaintance and you know, you're approaching them in a respectful way, they're usually willing to help. And and frankly, that's how, that's how relationships grow <coughs> anyway. Right. So, yeah. It's right. Yeah, exactly. When we build these things up too in our heads, we're like, oh, you know, this, this person's so smart or they've got their, you know, it's going to be embarrassing for me. Or they're going to think I'm an idiot. Well, here's the thing. We're all sort of full of crap to an extent. Yeah. And like, well, I think Tim Ferriss, isn't, isn't in his book, uh, what does it say? If you, if, if, uh, if you're afraid, don't worry. So is everybody else. I'm pretty sure that's Tim Ferriss. It it sounds like him, and he's right. Well, yeah, he had that thing in his book about like fear, fear sick, which, by the way, is a uh, is another thing rooted in stoicism. Mm-hmm. But um, I think was it for our work week where he was encouraging people to do things that made him dramatically uncomfortable, like yeah, like lay down on a sidewalk in the middle of the day and during rush hour or whatever stuff like that. Yeah, which that's maybe a little bit of an extreme, but I think coming back to the people component of it, one to your point, people generally want to help, but two. Even the person that looks like they have it totally figured it out, figured out is still figuring it out. Right, so right. Be, and what I, I mean, what, I think what I've learned at this point is, is you want to help that guy out because that guy, I don't know, you you might be working for that guy soon, or you know, that guy yeah. might be able to help you out in the future. It's not, it's it's not necessarily this 
hierarchical thing. Yeah. Well, and part of it too is just taking an interest in people. Right. You know, and, and yeah, it's one thing to go into something and, and really look for advice, and, and you can get that too, but sometimes it's just taking an interest in it. You know, it's like, you know, the reason that you and I are probably <coughs> sitting here right now is because we randomly sat next to each other at, at our, you know, illustrious secret society breakfast. <laughs> and you were talking about the things you had going on with the car, which we start talking about books. And, you know, I was new to Phoenix at the time and genuinely interested mm-hmm. in that. And, you know, I, I don't know, there's old cliches, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take and stuff like that. But right. just put yourself out there and take an interest in people. Right. And, and that's, that's really hard for me too, because I'm an only child and I'm, you know, like I kind of lock myself away and read my books and study and write stuff down. Taking that, that's that proactive step of truly investing in other people relationally, just sitting down with them and talking to them has been a hard thing for me to learn how to do to the point I, I had to force myself to do it and make myself uncomfortable for a long time because it doesn't right. come natural to a lot of people. Right. Well, and I think, I think it also, I think it comes back to even the story that I was saying when I was sitting on my bed and I'm calculating how much does the carpenter make? Um, I, I remember, you know, what that is, 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 is when you're expanding your world around you of opportunities, I think you, you begin to see the, the, the path that you could potentially take, you know, okay, this, this person got there by doing this. I could kind of go that way a little bit. And then, you know, this person got to this thing by doing that kind of. Yeah. And it's not even a conscious thing too. It's a meander. So sometimes, you know, sometimes these things just fall into place because you've, because you've, <sighs> you've surrounded yourself with people and it's sort of the, the rising tide lifts all ship thing. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, so getting back to the, to the chronology here. So you totally forgot where we are. We're somewhere post real estate crash, post real estate crash. Yeah. I started buying houses. Yes. Ran out of money, circled some friends and family, uh, invested in more houses. We had, you know, 15 or so, not a ton, but, and For a guy that has bought one home in his entire life, and it's the home that he lives in, like you're, you're talking about things that seem totally unobtainable. I have no idea how anybody even goes about doing that. Ha. Uh, it yeah. Um, it's it's doable. It's doable. We can have coffee. I'll tell you how I did it. <laughs> um. So uh, okay, where was I? Um. Yeah, I transitioned from the construction side of the bank to the credit side of the bank in an attempt to learn more. And I really saw um, three kind of balance kinds three kinds of balance sheets uh, as I was going through that. So not only did I learn like how do these real estate syndicators do things, but I learned um, the different different ways in which people would do it. <coughs> there was. And granted, I mean this is this is JP Morgan Chase, so we had like big clients, right? So it still works at a smaller scale, but th- there was there was really kind of three three types of balance sheets. There was the first balance sheet was uh, really just the cowboys. You know, these guys were levered to the hill, using all their own money. They got lots of real estate. They got lots of recourse debt, which means the bank can come after mm-hmm. not just the asset, but they can come after you personally. And and they're leveraged leveraged up, and when the market's rising, they're making a ton of money because they don't have any partners. When the market's crashing, they got a lot of problems because 
you know, it's, it's just them, their assets are struggling. They're usually over leveraged and the banks are coming after them. Then I saw the guys in the middle. Of course, you got to remember, like my perspective was like during the greatest crash of, of our lifetime. That was also tremendously fortuitous, I imagine. Oh yeah. No, I, I learned a ton. This was, this was, it was an amazing opportunity. I hated it. But I learned a ton, and it was an amazing opportunity. So second balance sheet I saw was uh, the guys. I actually really liked this one. The, the first guys, uh, actually, so they were they were worth in the 10 to $75 million range net worths, um, which is a lot. But again, big bank, right? So we had big clients. And then there was the guys in the middle. Uh, they were... Um, they had a lot of cash on their balance sheet, a lot of non-recourse debt. They usually syndicated their deals out, meaning they had equity partners that participated with them. If the deal did well, they participated in the profits. Uh, they usually were not over leveraged because banks are more conservative when they know they can only go after the, the, the asset and not the person personally. Um, so they were able to buy through the entire cycle. So these guys, when the market was crashed, when the market crashed, these guys got a bunch of cash on their balance sheet. They're able to buy stuff and take the best opportunities. Uh, they killed it. Uh, those guys were worth, again, qualification, JV Morgan Chase, Big Bank. Uh, these guys were worth hundred to three hundred million dollars net worth. Um, I liked I liked the way they did things, and then there was, like, the almost billionaire guys. Uh, these were the REITs, the big funds. These were just big balance sheets. Uh, they usually were not investing their own money. Uh, where the guys, both the guys on the front, they're investing all their money. The guys in the middle, they're co-investing alongside their LPs. The guys at the top, they're not investing at all. They're managing like a REIT or a big fund or something like that. They're taking massive fees off the top, right? So they're taking all kinds of crazy fees. Those guys were worth a ton, but um, I didn't really like their business as much because it didn't feel really good. Like they made money when other people invested rather than when their investors made money. Like the guys in the middle, they make money when their investors make money. I like that. I like that business. Um, but I, I learned a lot there um, and it was painful uh, because a lot of my job was just sifting through loans and figure out, okay, is there enough equity in this deal? No, Mr. Borrower, you need to make a capital contribution. Yes, you will. Okay, great. No, you won't. All right. that goes off to some special group. <coughs> and so it wasn't, wasn't a lot of fun, but I learned a lot. Uh, then let's see. Um, then what happened? Then, so they had kind of all the senior people were were taking care of the problem credits at the time. That's why I even had the opportunity to begin with. And when the um, market started to come back, uh, they basically collapsed the uh, you know the the special credits side and uh, brought them back into the good bank side as they started to originate again. And so I actually lost my job. So they eliminated my position. Uh, they offered me another position in the bank with some kind of weird tax credit financing business, um, which is 
kind of bizarre the way that gets done. But uh, I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to do something a little more entrepreneurial. We had a bunch of houses at this time. This is what year? This is 2013. Okay. Um, we had a bunch of houses at the time, and I was trying to figure out how do I buy a little apartment building. <coughs> had an investment thesis that, you know, there's there's all these uh, crappy little apartment buildings owned by old guys that aren't putting any money into them, and, you know, we could fix them up and rent them for more, and, and that would increase the value. And so uh, I was trying to figure out how to do that. So I decided I was going to get into commercial mortgage brokerage to cover the overhead personally and still look for deals. And uh, I did that for a very short period of time. In the process of trying to develop a client list, uh, I met my partner, uh, my partner now. And uh, I was unsuccessful in getting any of his business, but, you know, we'd kind of hit it off. We talked about, you know, me buying a bunch of little houses and try to figure out how to buy an apartment building. And it was one of those mentor type relationships mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, where I'm, you know, asking him questions about how he got into it and how he did it. And, and he actually called me up one day. He says, Hey, um, uh, are you serious about wanting to buy a little apartment building? I said, heck yeah, man, I'm totally, totally trying to figure it out. He said, I just had a deal come across my desk that kind of fits what you were saying you wanted to do. Do you want to do it? I said, yeah, let's do it. And he said, well, I want you to, he, he said, are you making any money over there? I said, well, not really. I mean, I just, you know, I closed one deal, been doing it for three months. And, uh, he said, well, I want you to do it over here with me and, you know, we'll invest together and I'll pay you to manage it. So I said, sweet, let's do it. And so we started buying and renovating little apartment buildings and, um, Yeah. And then car washes, right? So I guess I guess I got to finish finish the story. All this yeah. is getting fairly long winded here. Uh, we said, "Well, okay, now we're we're buying and selling these little apartment buildings. We only make money when we sell them. You know, what do we do if if we can't sell one? Let's look for an operating company on a real estate asset that'll produce some good cash." And uh, we found a few little car washes, and um, here we are today. And and that is the beginning of Raceway Express Car Wash. That is the beginning of Raceway Express Car Wash. So what fascinates me <laughs> about about this company now, so the company now is you know, th- 36 or so locations, and you're in, I guess we're in, in we're four, four states. states. Yep. Yep. We're in, we're in California, Nevada, Texas, and, and Arizona. So you go from a guy that was in the real estate world, very entrepreneurial, working by yourself and then eventually with, with a partner. And then in the course of about three years, you know, have your, I guess how big is the company? It's close to 500 employees. Yeah. We got like 420 yeah, was the last time I heard. Yeah. So you, you are now the CEO of a 420 person organization. And so I prefer when they call me like founder or CEO, just, I don't know. I think it's a good thing. Okay, and, and so, so, so here's the the level of humility in this organization. So I joined the company in I guess January, and we're we're doing a lot of things, and we're we're sort of creating more formal structure. And so you have some people that are executing at a very high level, doing very senior jobs in this what is now a a fairly large and, and growing company, 
and getting people to take titles that had a C in front of it or even even a VP in front of it was excruciatingly difficult. Nobody wanted nope. to do that. They, they were totally comfortable doing what they're doing, and they, they would do anything asked of them and do anything for the team and grow it. But nobody wanted to somehow have a title that made them seem that they were elevated within that organization, which, which I, on one hand, was a royal pain. To, so getting, it was kind of a PIA. Getting business cards made. You know, oh, so, so we're going to conferences and stuff like that. And, and somehow I became the person that had to wrangle people into agreeing to, to business cards and their titles on that. Yes. It took like two weeks because yeah. nobody w- would actually agree to anything. Anytime you throw a title, ah, I, I don't think that's really me. That seems too prestigious. All, it's, no, that's, that's what you are. And so you, you and the CEO thing are, are very reluctant to take it, but that is effectively what you are in the role you serve. Yeah. But what's what's more fascinating to me, though... I think more like chief visionary. How about that? I'll get the business cards printed up. Can I be the CVO? Yes, yes. We, we can we, we can make that happen. Okay, good. But we do need a CEO at oh, some point. At some point. Maybe someday. <laughs> yes. But uh, so so there's the, this idea of leadership. And so I, I joined a, a senior leadership team here that, including me, is five people. Fairly close-knit group, work... I mean, our, it, we, we have a completely open office, and I know, I know there are arguments for and against that right now, but we largely work in an area, just, just the, the, the five of us at the, at the core there, that's probably 50 square feet, maybe. A, mm-hmm. You know, I, we, we work very, very closely. And there, well, I actually work in the coffee shop. You do spend a lot of your time in the coffee shop. I work in the coffee shop. I, I, just, I just go to the office to meet people. That's your Zen place. Yeah. But you know, one one of the things, one of the arguments for the open office is the best discussions we have generally are people sitting back, leaning back in, in this group, put their feet up at their desk, and we we just hash something out. But it is an incredibly close knit group, and you you've been with these people for quite some time now, and you've effectively had to learn leadership on the fly. Mm-hmm. What element of this came naturally, and what element did you have to study like crazy to get good at? Well, so the study like crazy um, has really been all of it, like how to lead a team. It's one thing to have good, you know, productivity habits for yourself. It's substantially harder to actually lead a team to do it. My dog is assaulting you right now. Weston, take a walk. He's a good pup. He's a good pup. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I'm an audiobook guy. And and so I just devour audiobooks in an attempt to figure out how to how to run a company. Um, and in fact, I I joke frequently about uh, how we're you know I, 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 we we just did this week when we were we were at the convention. Uh, I kept telling everybody, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to run an operating company, but we've got nice vests. We had great vests. We did have great vests. We we were the best dressed people there. That's true. Which really is the award that <laughs> that matters probably the most. That's true. Uh, yeah, so like l- leading is different than managing. Uh, leading a team is different than being productive. Um, and I think once that clicked, I was helped. What was there one book or one thing that sticks out? Whether it was someone saying something to you, something you read, these start with why. On. Okay, and leaders eat last. 
I love Simon Sinek. I know you think he's, you know, a little bit over the top sometimes. You but, know, he's uh, actually growing on me. Yeah, he is. He he's an idealist who's been bashing millennials. Is he bashing millennials? Some might say I, made him, I might have missed it. He he actually has had some YouTube things about it. He is he's got some rather I'm not gonna say controversial. Well, the world bashes millennials. They do, and it's like anything. There's yeah. some validity and some of it's overblown. I think it's all overblown. This is a, that's a whole other conversation, but I but I that, think that'll, that'll I, think there, of, I think there's certain things that, that millennials have uh have done well to abandon tradition for the sake of tradition. That's fair. I think it's totally fair. Yes. Because I think they've identified that doing things just to do things is meaningless and they very much need meaning. Uh, which actually leads me to um, why I like Simon Sinek. I think he, he is an idealist. And I think that if you want to lead people, it's it's wholly uninspiring, actually. Um, it's inspiring to make money. It is a little bit, but but it's 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 uninspiring for that to continually be the chase more and more and more money. Right? We know that that chasing more and more and more and more and more money is is. It's not good for you. you know? Yeah. Uh, not that having a lot of money is bad for you, but but that can't be your success indicator. No, that can't be your success indicator. What I like about Simon Sinek is is he he argues for a better world where people are inspired to go to work, and he argues for a um a world where 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 people work together um, toward a certain goal that's bigger than just making money. Um, it would be wholly uninspiring for, for me to tell my team, you know, <clears throat> y'all need to work really, really hard so that, you know, I can go buy a really nice car. <coughs> that would be lame. Uh, but But I think that we believe in something more to where I wrote about this recently in, um, in my blog, where when if if when the economics of success can become the means by which you fund a greater pursuit, it has to be bigger. So making more and more money has to lead to a better and better world. Uh, I think that I think that's inspiring. We talk a lot about what we want this company to mean, not just to to, to those of us that are that are effectively at the at the top of the org chart, but to the people that are working throughout this company. We want it to be a place that helps them become better or yes. find 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 a better place in life. And, and there are some great companies that that we see this happening at, you know, a company we reference a lot is in and out right in and out is a place that two things generally happen there with, with their store <coughs> associates. They either continue to graduate up throughout the company and you see store managers in and out. 
actually can spend their career doing that role and live a very high quality of life doing it. They can afford yeah, the, the things that, that you see in the middle class throughout this country. They can probably send their kids to college relatively easily and, and, and they can really make an impact on the people they work with. That's great. However, for, for a lot of folks in and out, if, if they leave the company, it's something that actually acts as a little bit of a springboard or a stepping stone on the way to something better. And, right. and that was one of the things you expressed to me maybe the first time we met, that you're less concerned with the financials of your company and more what the company means to the community and more specifically to the people that work there. Yeah. Well, I had, I had a bit of a come to Jesus. I mean, I, I clearly got into uh, the business to make money. But when I realized I was running an operating company that I was going to be in substantially longer than, uh, you know, I was originally anticipating, I figured I figured I got to I got to figure out how to run a company, and if I'm going to run a company, I want it to be something that I can be proud of. And I realized, like when it's a quick flip, when I'm going to flip an apartment building, we're going to make a bunch of money. That's fun. Uh, but when it's not a quick flip, and the payoff, the financial reward is pushed further and further out. It can become really discouraging. And unless you're doing it for a bigger reason, right? And so, so I realized that the things that I really get inspired about are, well, like we talked about already, seeing more in other people than they see in themselves and calling that out of them. Building leaders, Building, you know, teaching people to look not within to what do I need, but but out to what can I give? How can I grow? How can I become better? Um, you know, building a better community in a better world and using a car wash to build people and communities. And that's inspiring. That's that's actually inspiring, at least to me, um, to to think through. We're not going to do something that's just this will make us an extra buck. We're actually playing the longer game of trying to make the world a better place uh, with with what we're doing. Um, I'm, I'm, I remember a conversation, I remember a conversation that we had, and I don't remember the specifics around it, but we were brainstorming different ideas and we said, no, we can't go down that route because if we go down that route, that would violate the whole purpose of why we're doing things to begin with, even though it would, might pay us more in the short term. And so I think a lot about I think a lot about how do you keep the economics of of success pure, um, and not just short term, not not take, right? So, what that means is 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 like I don't I don't I don't want my employees out there. I mean, this is an obvious reason. This would be a bad business, but like I don't want my. But I think it exemplifies the point. I don't I don't want my employees out there selling something to a customer and them not understanding what they're purchasing. Now I just won the transaction, but I lost the relationship. And I think that if you can build a company that actually matters to the community, um, I think we can do something, something great. And so, 
you know, there's always the story that I tell internally about, um, you know, we've all seen the poster board signs on the side of the road when people are raising money for the local high school football team or to send kids to camp. In each of those cases, there's a car wash at the center of a community helping people obtain the things that matter most. And so how do we build something that actually matters to the community that we serve? How do we, how do we align the stakeholders, you know, management and shareholders might say we exist to, to, um, wash as many cars as we possibly can and make a whole bunch of money. Well, that's great. But why do the employees care? Well, the employees only care if that means I can pay them more money. Well, why do the customers care about that? Well, they don't. They don't give a rip. If that's the case, then that's not synergistic. <coughs> but if I can find a purpose that unites shareholders and the management and the customers and the employees to say this is the common goal to figure out how do I matter how do we really matter as a company to the communities that we serve, to the employees that we serve? I, I, th- I think that, that within that confluence that there's a, something that'll propel you to success. You know, it's like, it's like Elon Musk and his goofy, not a flamethrower in air quotes that I'm putting up here. You know, that, that guy's doing things, you know, hopefully he's, on the up and up, but he's doing things that really matter, right? He's taking on the biggest problems in our world. And as a result of that, um, people will buy not a flamethrower from him, you know, for 500 bucks in order to fund the expansion. Is that all that thing costs? Yeah, it was like 500 bucks, but it's, you know, it's like a, it's like a propane tank. It's like a blowtorch, right? It's basically a blowtorch with a, with a thing on the end, you know, I can make a cheaper one, Elon. That's right. But, uh, you know, the point of that is, is when you, I think when you exist for a purpose that is greater, people get behind that. They, they do, but it, it's, I, I think you touched on the word synergistic earlier, and it, everything can play into that very, very well. <coughs> so w- when you have that belief of what you want to be for the community, the employees like working there, their lives are better off. Customers feel better about doing business with you, and ideally, they're better off. They receive some type of better product because the employees are more engaged. Everything plays together in, in that sense. So when you when you look back on the time that you have been the CEO, as much as you, you hate that term. Founder. Founder. Managing director. Chief I'm visionary officer. I'm also a client. Yes. Um, what, what's the biggest lesson you've learned? But what sticks out to you? Hmm. The biggest lesson I've learned. I've learned a ton. I think the biggest lesson I've learned is how to lead a team. I don't think you manage a team. I think you lead a team. Uh, and I think in order to lead a team, you got to know where you want to go. And you have to clearly communicate that vision of where you're going as a leader to to your team. And they uh, will help you get there. Is leadership easy or hard? It's hard. I think a lot of people think the other side of that, though. And, leadership's and I think it's, easy? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people do it. And I think Bad maybe, leadership's easy. 
that's that's for damn sure. <coughs> but I think it's it's this idea that or bad maybe, leadership is hey Chris, you go do this, I'm gonna go golfing. Yeah. Uh okay. But I, I think how do I say this tactfully? There there's an element of leadership that has to be simple. Right. That that doesn't mean that it's that that it's it's not hard to achieve. But the parameters of it are simple. And I think when I had a big epiphany leadership-wise was when I realized that I'm, I'm paying attention to too many things. I'm, I'm trying to follow the, you know, the habits and the traits of Jobs, Zuckerberg, Gates, and, and all these guys that have seemingly achieved high levels of success. And, and I sort of realized that what leadership needs is a simplistic approach. That doesn't mean that your mm-hmm. ambition or your goals are any lower. In fact, it means they're just as high, if not higher. But you have to take a very real thing. And I think inside all of us, the most important or the core leadership tenets are all there. I think we just ignore them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that when we talk about leadership, we talk about looking at people and understanding their potential. When we talk about things like humility and how to lead humbly— these are things that I think we all know to be true innately, but we sort of ignore it because we start paying attention to what we might see here. Like, you got to be a very decisive. You got to be autocratic. You got to be very authoritative as a leader. You can't show any weakness. You, you know, you can never show any any, any emotion or anything by yourself. And you know, we start listening to these people, and then suddenly we get down this road, and we've got this idea of what we're supposed to be built up, and it's a bunch of crap. Right. Inside ourselves, I think we all know what it takes to relate to people. And that is ultimately how you lead. Is by you're, Yeah, you're them. not a leader if you tell people what to do. You're a dictator. Yeah. And I, th- I think a leader builds something bigger than themselves. And the only way you can build something, it, it, meaning if that, if that autocratic dictator uh, were to go away, the vision's gone. The people stop. They don't. There's got to be another autocratic dictator filling that that space. They don't they don't pursue the vision without them. Yeah. I think I think a a leader um a leader has to have a clear vision of where they want to go and a leader has to have a self-awareness to know when 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 one of their when with one of, when one of the people they're trying to lead is not producing what they want it's the question is is it is it my fault as the leader because i wasn't clear enough because i didn't cast the vision appropriately why is what's been produced not what i was looking for or Conversely, is it something where the, the the person they're leading needs to be coached in a certain way because they, I don't know, they could have done better and they didn't or something. Yeah, but tra- translation right. as the leader, it's always your fault. Well, it's, ba- it's basically the point you're making. It's always your fault because either you have to, you have to, you should have cast a vision better, or you should have coached this person better, or I mean, when the tendency is 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 to blame or ignore, right? So, so I know my my tendency, um, my tendency at times can be to 
when when something's not going the way I think it should, is to inject myself into that and to, um, in a bad way, lead by example, meaning I just took that and now it's my job. And so now my people are dependent on me, right? And if they're dependent on me, well, I'm not leading because if I go away, we're screwed. A, a leader really replicates himself. Yeah. Well, there's an element to that that, that really gets back to this idea of making the whole worth more than the sum of the parts. Right. And you know, I, I think about this topic a lot, and this, this might be a little bit of a tangent here, but I think about it a lot when we think of public companies and breakups. Mm-hmm. And for the last five years, there have been a lot of people that that have targeted Disney, for instance, as a company that needs to be broken up because you've got ESPN, you've got this parks business, you, you've got the, the, the studio. And, and a lot of people have said that this company is worth worth more individually. And, and I think what people miss in that case is that you have – you have such effective leadership in Bob Iger, and, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe I'm a little bit partial because I worked for the Disney company, and, and Bob Iger is the CEO, and I was there, and I would take a bullet for Bob Iger. But that leadership makes that company more valuable now because of it. And I, and I think people underestimate what will happen when you have each company operating individually without that centralized leadership. Mm-hmm. And so the the way you that that same paradigm I think applies to your team, where we have five individuals, let's say, on a team. Well, if each of them is capable of producing 10 units of productivity, whatever that is, on, on their own, somehow an effective leader has to make their net product at least at least 51 units of productivity or more. Right. Yeah, and and that, is, that is what effective leadership really does. It makes people be able to produce more than they could independently, and it also makes people's collective product more meaningful. Right. I think... I don't. I, I think that idea really gets lost on a lot of leaders. They, they don't view their responsibility to make more of the team. They they actually fall into more of a management role just to make sure this person did this and this person did this. And right, that's not leadership at all. It's much easier to demand and ignore. Yeah, than it is to actually lead. Well, there, there's a word for that. <laughs> it's not effective. It's lazy. Yeah, it's, it's that's not, kind I mean, of it's, what it is. Yeah, it's not effective. Like. Some people can can do that very, you know, and 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 still produce certain results, uh, uh, but when they're gone, it's over. Yeah, definitely. All right, so so you've got this this, this wonderful company that's growing and ho- hopefully growing a lot more here soon. You have four kids now. Yep. You have a golden retriever. Yep. What do you want your legacy to be? That's a good question. Uh, I'm pretty young, so I would I would like my legacy to be that I I didn't die before middle aged. Uh, but um, uh, barring that, I would like my legacy to be that I inspired people to become better, oh. and that they can. Just really, really putting that deep seated belief in them. Yes. To do something. And I think a lot of that stems back to, uh, I didn't think I could. Yeah. Well, I guess that that's part of the reason I'm so fascinated by the story. Because I, I hear you talk about about growing up. I, I never heard math 095, but that is now going to become... That's a, a thing. I, that, that's going to become a thing now. 
But there's another thing. The math I took in in high school is called tech prep. They didn't know what that meant. It, it, I'm pretty sure it was like pre-algebra over four years. For four years, I don't know. But, but I'm pretty sure it was pre-algebra. I got a serious issue with the school system where you where you grew <laughs> <Yeah>. up. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm going to be writing a strongly worded yeah. letter after this. But, yeah. but n- nonetheless, um. You know, you see the story kind of beginning, and I'm, I'm not going to say end, obviously, because it's not the end. But you you just see the the way things have developed, and and I'm I'm endlessly fascinated by that. I'm endlessly fascinated by 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 people that work hard, that become more than they think was possible, and and ultimately by people that achieve more than they think was possible. So, getting into this at a super granular level, though, mm-hmm. you know, because we talked meditation earlier, and we're we're both meditators. What's your daily routine like? Uh, it it uh, the whole daily routine or the meditation one specifically? No, the the, the whole thing because you know, and I, I I guess for me, I well, I'm always talking about leadership. I think I manage things to a fault. Yes, and I, I'm a creature of habit, and much I, to my wife's chagrin. I'm very big into um, routine. <clears throat> in fact, most of the important things in life, I think you can make them into a routine. And and if you got your priorities straight, the important things in life are 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 not massive success. Success, it's health, good relationships, you know, those kind of things. Uh, so daily routine, I wake up um, usually very casually. Um, or I, I don't like to wake up to an alarm, although on occasion I do. So let's say this is a day no alarm. I just like to point out you woke up to no alarm on Monday when we were flying out to Dallas. Yes, that's out? true. That's true. So yeah, uh, yeah. Let's so let's tell that story first. So we have a seven forty AM flight. We gotta you gotta be there. Should be there about six forty, right? Yeah, Hour flight, early. Yeah. Board board about seven ten. You never know. It was Monday morning, you never know what airport traffic's gonna so be. So like. I woke up at six thirty. I set my alarm though. I mean that was I uh, that, that was my phone. It's seven ten. There, so we're on Southwest, which that's a whole nother story for for a different show. Yeah, um, Tim does not like Southwest. Well, he might now, but he didn't at the time. And so uh, it's seven ten. They're calling the A boarding passes up, and I'm on the phone with my wife. She's like, "Oh, you guys ready to go?" I'm like, "I am." <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking around. I'm like, uh, "I'm I'm not seeing my compatriot here." I'm coming in hot. Yeah, which well, which you did, but you made it. I'm coming in hot. Um, yeah, fortunately, I live pretty close to the airport. So, you know, <laughs> jumped up, quick shower, got to the airport, had to park in the short-term parking. So it cost me. But, but by the way, though, you woke up an hour before your flight. Hour and 10 minutes. Hour and, excuse me. I'm so, sorry. Hour and 10 minutes. And you still said, you know what? Cleanliness is next to godliness. I need to take a shower. Oh, this is a thing. This okay. is a thing. I I have been known to take multiple showers a day. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's yeah. just sometimes it's not exactly in the cards or in the schedule. Uh, no, it's always in the cards. Okay. Yeah. No. There 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 is. Uh, you might catch me on a lazy Saturday morning, not having showered. But it's it's this is, yeah. No, I I don't. I never get squeezed on that. Okay. It's uh, non-negotiable. Okay. Non-negotiable. Yeah. So anyway, so let's get to the routine. So, so my routine. I usually wake. I usually do wake up about six thirty, generally. 
Uh, and uh, lately I helped my wife get the kids uh, off to school first. So that usually happens around 710. So I'm helping, helping her mostly standing over the children, yelling at them, get ready. You got to go. Um, so we get them off to school. I then, uh, I use the U version Bible app. Yep. Uh, and I listen to it and read it at the same time at two times normal speed. Okay. Helps me focus. Okay, I didn't know this. I'm I'm curious how you're able to interpret anything when you have it, when you you're reading it and have somebody saying it to you. Yes, and you find this is better for retention. One hundred percent. Really? Okay. One hundred percent. It helps focus me so much, right? Because I'm reading it and they're reading it to me, so my mind is not wandering. And I do that for twenty minutes. Um. Uh. Then uh, I I have a um. I really like the Pray As You Go app. I think it's a Catholic app, uh, although I'm not Catholic, but that doesn't matter. And uh, it's got like a little devotional to read some scripture, you know, kind of give you some thoughts, uh, thought-provoking things, and I will journal my prayers. Um, uh, I find writing them works works best. I'm not, I'm not much of a... I'll throw I'll throw up a, a prayer every now and again, but usually prayers of desperation. Uh, if it's not written, I probably didn't pray. I don't know if that's good or not, but whatever. I think it just gets back to how people think. Yeah, it's kind of how I some think. people are readers, some people are thinkers. I just yeah. can't let my mind wander. It's it's kind of dark in there. <coughs> so anyway, it's interesting. I yeah. Try that. Okay. Uh, so then. Uh, I will then go turn on the steam shower and I will, uh, do pushups and stretch while in the steam shower or no, while, while, the showers? It's, okay. while it's heating. Okay. Usually shave if I need to shave. Um, then I will get in the steam shower and I, I've actually been meditating in the steam shower. No visuals, please. Um, <laughs> I actually really enjoy that. Do you throw a little eucalyptus in there ever? I do every now and again. It's nice. Okay. Or lavender. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, mostly I'm too lazy to actually do that though. Um, so I don't I don't use the scented stuff. But I do really like the steam shower. <clears throat> okay, so you meditate about how long? Uh, usually 10 minutes. If I've got some extra time, I might go 15 or 20. And that meditation practice... Um, Usually looks like you know trying to relax, and then um, uh, you know going from feet up to my head, and then um, you know open my heart, send some love somewhere, um, send some love in a forgiving way. So like someone someone that I am am thinking about or feeling affection for, I'll, you know, kind of th- think about what I appreciate about them. And then I'll do the same for somebody, somebody else that maybe isn't deserving. I don't know. That sounds really bad. No, it, I, I get it though, actually. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I try to visualize one of the big goals I'm trying to create uh, uh, in life. And I just sort of let my mind relax around those things. Um, 
so I'm not much I'm not much for the um don't think about anything. Uh I just let my mind wander a little bit and see where it goes. And I feel like I have really good ideas that happen when that when I do that. But I think that keeps me focused on um what I'm trying to what I'm trying to do and why. Is that a hard habit to get into? <coughs> I, I know a, a lot a lot of people that are that are super driven or super ambitious, I think there's a little bit of a stigma around it that it's soft or it's just hard to to calm things down. And yeah. I don't know what what I find well, with it is it actually sort of supercharges my mind. Yeah. Well I, I actually I'm soft, actually. Um just in general. And so I I um um I kind of have to do it uh because I get I get super anxious. And so I find that when I don't you know I'm snapping at my wife and kids and just hmm. not able to relax and think clearly. Uh so I've done it in various forms. Um I actually recently it's only been a few months that I've actually been um, meditating in my shower. And the reason is, is because I've had a cold and it helps. Um, it's hard to breathe when, you know, you got a chest congestion or whatever. <coughs> you may notice I'm coughing a bit. J- just a bit. <clears throat> yeah, so so um, the steam helps that. So I could still, you know, kind of breathe and but I've tried box breathing and different types of rhythmic breathing, and I've tried, um, you know, guided meditations and different things of that sort. What I really think is happening is I think when you calm yourself down, all the thoughts that are spinning around in your subconscious begin to fall into place and become ordered. Yep. And... Um, I'm actually not a, I mean, clearly I'm, I'm probably more traditional in, in my belief set, but, uh, as far as meditation goes, I, I kind of lean more on the, I, I kind of brain science stuff in that. I think it just, one, it's scientifically proven to help calm you down. And two, uh, I, th- I think my thoughts just kind of come into order. So I, I find it's a way to. This is going to sound bad, but to reduce the emotion and mm-hmm. thoughts. And I think it, it's it's a much more effective way to see things for what they are, to see them clearly, and to deal with them. I find that you know emotions in your mind ratchet up. They play on top of each other. They sort of compound. Yes. And I find meditation is a very strong reset for that. If, if I'm dealing with an issue and I can't get my head around something, beat my head against the wall... There, there are two things that work. One, go for a long run. Sometimes that helps things mm-hmm. at all. But I guess in a way that's sort of meditative. Sort of. You know, if I, if I go and... Get you focused. Yeah. It, you know, I, I, I don't think about anything. I, I effectively get my mind in order. I quiet my mind. And suddenly things are a lot more clear, <coughs> a lot more manageable, a lot easier to deal with. Right. I think the key is just recognizing when that's happening. So there, there is something to be said for having a daily routine with it. And, and doing it in the morning, I, th- I think, is great. But I also think... It re- when you recognize that that feeling in your head that things are starting a little bit cluttered, yes, doing it in the middle of the day is massively beneficial. That and writing. So I find that thoughts spin in my head, and and they seem bigger than they actually are. Thoughts or fears. So if I'm thinking, 
uh, one thing, like I don't know how to do this certain thing. And maybe this thought is, is it just starts spinning in my head. I don't know how to do this. 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 It's it, instead, if I just write what I'm afraid of, I don't know how to do this. It makes, it makes me order my thoughts and it's, it's worthless journaling, but it's, it forces me to yeah. say, well, I already wrote that down, so I don't need to think that anymore. It's like filing it away. That's interesting. I do that a lot. In fact, I made my son do that the other day when he was doing his homework. He, was, he had a writing assignment, and he was uh, very much objecting to not wanting to do it, and it's so hard, and blah, blah, blah. And I locked us away in a room, and I said, I want you to write the worst idea that you have. I want you to write your fears. I want you to write everything you're, what, the, 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 the things, everything that's just in your head. Get all the bad ideas out so the good ones can come. And he did that, and he finally finished the assignment. And I was like, see, that wasn't that hard, was it? You know, that's the same thing, though. I, maybe not. But going, going back to the originals book that we read, Mm-hmm. Where like if if you're trying to be persuasive with someone or, or whatever, you almost lead with all the reasons against for what you're proposing. Right. It's like we're gonna get these out of the way. They're gone, they've been dealt with, they can't float around in our heads, they can't clutter things up anymore. Now we're going to focus on the meat of this. Yep. I like that. That's our strategy. When we go look for investors in our car wash company, we're gonna tell them here's why you shouldn't invest. That's exactly what here's we why this do. is a terrible idea. Yeah. Here's why this is going to stink. <laughs> Okay, so two two questions. Um, one, if you are talking to a room of soon-to-be college graduates, mm-hmm. or even better yet, you know, you know, and I, I don't mean this is a joke. You're talking to a room full of math 095s, yes, students, and you could guarantee that they would read and take to heart what was in one book. What book would that be? Mm. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Okay, why? That book was also a massive confidence boost. Just, uh, you know, the social awkwardness of, um, uh, you know, at least my own timidity. I I I think underperformance is frequently lack of confidence, not lack of competence. 100%. 100%. Sometimes it's lack of competence. Oh, I think very rarely, to be honest. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. It's very rarely. I, I, think, I think that um, if you can boost someone's confidence uh, in a social setting or to just to be able to ask for what they need, because I never asked for what I needed. Yeah. That was part of the problem. I never went to my teachers and said, I don't understand this. I need help. Um. And until later on in life, right? So, but but if I would have learned, that's an important lesson that we're trying to teach my kids, especially my oldest son, because we're basically the same person, is that um, you have to learn to advocate for yourself. And a part of that is learning how to deal socially with just common courtesy and feeling comfortable. And, um, you know, same thing with the quote I referenced earlier about, you know, Tim Ferriss, uh, where, he, where he talks about if you're afraid, so is everybody else. Um, I think understanding that helps boost confidence 
and helping boost confidence helps boost performance. I think so. I, I think belief, confidence, belief, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. I think it's 95% of the battle. Yep. It, it really, really is. We're our own worst enemies. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's what's so tr- going back to the guidance counselor again, who I'm going to continue to beat on here. But that, it's the same thing. <laughs> you know, you, you take that kid, and instead of filing him away, <coughs> you suddenly make that kid believe. Suddenly you've, you've unlocked something here. Right. Yeah. What does a perfect day look like for you? What does a perfect day look like for me? Uh, I like most days. Um, well, we already went through my morning routine, so I nailed that. But, but, is, is, but is, that, is that a perfect day for you? Well, that's the perfect morning. But it was so some people love their routines, and some people look at it with incredible dread. Oh, I think if you're looking at it with dread, you're doing it wrong. Agreed. But so, uh, some, well, in fact, funny. in fact, I think a lot. I think a lot of of. I think a lot of success is identifying what you want, and then figuring out the ways to hack hack yourself. Like BJ Fogg talks about uh, tiny habits. And in fact, I just finished James Clear's book. Um, oh, is that Atomic Habits? Atomic Habits. That's on. That's maybe the fourth or fifth book in my queue here. Yeah, it's a good book. Uh, but they talk about uh, both of them. Uh, actually, the same. Um, they talk about how the the routine is more important than than the habit performed in that routine. Um, so what they mean. Uh, is like, I did this myself, actually. Uh, I fell off the wagon, so I started again. Uh, is like BJ Fogg, uh, he has a lecture. He talks about, uh, I find this kind of weird, actually, but he, after he would pee, he would do two push-ups. And then, I, yeah, I know, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, He's, you're looking at me strange. I'm, the people I'm, listening can't see that, but I'm, you're looking at me really I'm, strange. I'm sorry, I, I, there was nothing I could... So I'm, I'm picturing a public restroom. And I know exactly. Dropping down and, exactly. and knocking two push-ups out. Yeah. So I was I was thinking about starting that one, but I decided to change it up a little bit. But he would say after he, after he would uh, use the restroom, he would do two push-ups, and and he was and then he would build on that from there, right? Because it's ridiculous to get down to two two push-ups. And so um, I'm I'm not a particularly uh, fit uh, person. I'm 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 lean, but I'm not. You know, I'm not a muscle man by any means. And so what I decided to do, I talked about doing push-ups when I turn the steam shower on. I decided when I turn the steam shower on, I'm going to do one push-up. Just one. And then the next day I do two. And the next day I do three. And then four. And and just building from there. And I actually got up to 50, which I was impressed with. Yeah. I mean, I mean people yoked people like, like, like Mr. Chris Book across from me here. Uh, can do many more than that, but uh, I was pretty impressed with myself to do fifty. Um, See, the point isn't the number, though. The point is the progress. That's right. Did you read the article about push-ups? There was an article oh, floating around about it, you know the you know where it was between it was Secret Society Slack. Oh, it was our Secret Society <laughs> Slack channel? But there's there's a ninety six percent less chance of heart disease for 
the firefighters that they tested that could do 40 push-ups versus the ones that could only do 10. It's good to do I push-ups. That. I believe that. Yeah. So am probably, I a monster? It, it might be sign and not reality, but... I, I, well, I th- I'm, I'm sure there are a couple of the reasons for it, but I, that makes perfect sense. Am I a monster, though, if... Yes. Every, thank you. <laughs> every morning while I'm doing my third or fourth pour-over and, and I've got the guys down there having breakfast... Um, I have that bang out 100 push-ups. I do it with that's, them. That's pretty impressive. I'm Would not the kids I'm not do sure. it too? Yeah, they do it with me. Your kids are two. And a half. Wow. How many do they do? We do... Um, <coughs> we do... Well, we do 100. So... Wait, the kids do 100 push-ups? They do 100, but we break it into a couple sets, and it's dependent on how high they can count. And so we've recently gotten to doing four sets of 25. And so the way we do it... so. So I've gotten you into the pour over thing. So I do wow. I do four pours on my pour over. And so we pour the water and then we bang out twenty five push ups while the water's dripping. Go back, pour it again, bang out twenty five more. That's actually a really good idea. I for some reason. I'm impressed that your kids can do that many push ups. They're they're not military push ups. They're uh we're still working on form. Sure, sure. But of course. I'm trying to ingrain the habit. That's impressive. I think that time's gotta be used for something. You asked me if you were a monster. You haven't answered that. Well, you did answer that, but, but that was before you heard what I said. Now, now am I? Hmm. No, I'm sure there are plenty of plenty of people in the neighborhood that would think, yeah, that's pretty psychotic behavior. No, you're not a monster. You're teaching your kids that they can do something. They can do it. Yeah, let's focus on that side of it. Yeah. I, I think that's to, important. I want them to be strong. Like I, This is weird. One of my favorite things is... So like I've got I've got a TRX hanging outside from from the tree. What is that? It's um TRX is it's a workout thing it was invented by by a seal years ago. <coughs> it's ba- it very simply it think of two gymnastics rings on the end of of like parachute cord and you use it to do a variety of of it. you hang it from a tree or whatever and you do a variety of push-ups and pull-ups with it and all kinds of stuff. And so when the guys go and I just see them go over there and bang out 20 of of something they saw me do I feel very good about that because I feel like they're actually working hard at something. Maybe it's a little young for that, but for some reason that, that kind of matters to me. I really want to exclaim a phrase in my WWF voice right now, oh but I, I, I don't want to expose you on your podcast. <laughs> Let's just say that uh, we balance each other out with my relative intensity and your relative yes. zen. Yes. Yeah, there we go. I think that's good. Um, okay, so so did you officially select a book? How to Win Friends and Influence People. Okay, we did that. Um, did, did we finish Perfect Day? Can I have a second book? You know, you, yeah, that, that's a fair question. We should say top three books. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Not because everybody needs to invest in real estate, but because I think it, it helps you think big. They need to bigger. understand the dynamics in there for sure. Right. It's not, it's not necessarily about, I mean, yeah, it's about real estate, but it's also just just about broader yep. careers and development and mindset. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think I knew pretty early that I was I could not have a normal career. That sounds random. Why is that, though? Um, I like project-based work where I can work hard on something, accomplish it, it's done. 
I'll work on something else. So you can never be 35 years moving up in a company. And then... I knew I couldn't do that. And that's why I, that's why I liked Rich Dad Poor Dad. Because I, I, yeah. I realized, okay, I can work hard on something. I can turn that into something. And then I can move on. Makes sense. I just, I got ADD. Well, I, th- I think, I don't know if it's ADD as much as people are just wired different. Well, and I think it's, I think, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know the entrepreneur route was a, was an option. You know, thinking back on that, on that guidance counselor and all that, you know, one thing that we, we discount a lot, I think in the educational system are the trades. Yeah. And you can go be a welder or a plumber and still be incredibly entrepreneurial doing it. Yep. And I think that gets, gets neglected. Some of the most successful people I know are people that didn't go to college, went to community college, but learned to trade like that and built a business up that way. You can be incredibly entrepreneurial in that setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just something I don't think it's emphasized enough to kids. All right, third book. The third book. The book of Proverbs. Okay, that's fair. Wisdom. You know, normally I ask people this question, and the first answer is, is typically Bible. And so as weird as it feels to me, I've, I've had to start saying a lot of times, like, except for that, what are the books you recommend? Yeah. Hmm. That said, the book of Proverbs is... Truthfully, I got out of this habit years ago, but I used to just read one every day. Because theoretically, I, I, one for every day of the month. Wisdom books in general. How about the Daily Stoic? I've never read it, but wisdom books in general are incredibly important. I think. Well, the thing with the thing with books like that, though, is you don't have to agree with everything that's in them. Yeah, exactly. That's why I said the Book of Proverbs and not the Bible. Not yeah. everybody's going to believe what I believe, but wisdom is important no matter what you believe. Yeah, like you know, you know, even even stuff like Atomic Habits, for instance, which I haven't read yet, but you have. There might be some things in there that you put into play right away, and there might be 60% of the things like, you know what, I, I don't buy that, not for me. And, and I think that collection of things that might work for one person are totally different than what work for the other. Right. But there's generally not going to be a specific formula. Right. Right. We, yeah, we do a lot of books, mostly audiobooks for me because I fall asleep when I read a book. Okay, yeah, I, I have it on good authority that you actually listen to books and podcasts in your sleep. Uh, yes. Well, books, I don't... Um, I will listen to books when I sleep, but only books I've already read. I listen to books in my car uh, because I don't want to... It's not It's not a just to get it done kind of thing. It's a, I want to learn something from yeah. it, so I want to be conscious. Uh, but I do fall asleep to listening to something, usually some sort of podcast or, or uh, actually, mostly YouTube, which is the same thing, but video. I, I don't I know say, why. There's a wealth of knowledge to be had on YouTube. Oh, tremendous. There really is. Do you ever watch uh, Inside Quest? No. Tom Billy something or other, I think. I like his stuff. I like his stuff. He's got interesting guys, but he he's 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 interviewing um, uh, guys that are uh, um, uh, usually written books. 
So that's how I figure out what book I want to read next. Interesting. What book are you reading right now? What's best next? I've had that. You know, you know, the last guest we had on here, Eric Averill, recommended that as well. Yeah. It's finally gotten interesting. <laughs> there's, a, there's a resounding endorsement. Yeah, I'm sorry. Gosh, I feel really bad. I quoted it recently um, on LinkedIn because he said something. He said something interesting. Something about uh, when what we do doesn't fall in line with what we believe. Um, I forget exactly how it went, but it's bad. <clears throat> There's a lot of good stuff in it. It's just the first probably two thirds of the book is like a theology of work, and I was already like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And then it, it's it's gotten into more of the interesting, more practical stuff of of. It almost should have been two books, I think. One, a theology of, of work, and titled such, and the other, like a, a, a philosophy of, not, maybe not a philosophy, but like a, a process of how to organize your life. I think books are too long. And that's not because I'm lazy and I don't want to read them, because I actually enjoy reading the books. But I think sometimes authors make a book longer than it should because they feel that they have to, or somehow that communicates value. Right. You know, there, there was a, a book, and I know I'm going to spoil this a little bit because I, I know it's one that you're going to read it, but it was, um, I'm going to look up and see what the title is. Oh, it's the, I don't know if I, don't know if I have the explicit title on the show or not. So it was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fudge. Oh, yeah, that's in my that's in my queue. That's the next one up. The points in the book, tremendously valid. It was probably a book that should have been one chapter. That's hilarious. And I don't disagree with you. But but I started looking at all these books I read and like all these points are so valid and I, and I don't want to miss any of these points, but I think the author could actually be much more effective if they just shortened it. Right. There's there's an art to that. All right. All all that aside, last question and this is something that just came to me and something I think I'm going to need to ask every guest yep. on the show. If you were a WWE wrestler, what would your entrance music be? My entrance music. I started thinking about this when we were hmm. in the car in Dallas with Andrew. But by the way, if you live in Dallas or actually, you know what? You can get go on iHeartRadio right now. 97.1 The Eagle in Dallas is the greatest radio station in the world. It was legit. It was, for a couple days, it was hit after hit after hit. Yeah. Oh, they were wonderful. And From, so I, was, I was thinking about it, as I was watching Andrew play the drums on the steering wheel for, for 15 minutes. I have them on video. Oh, you do? Yeah. So it's kind of a thing. <laughs> it's kind of a thing. So he, he air guitars and air drums. And he, he, was, he was taking it all. <laughs> I record him every now and again. It's, it's pretty fun. That was a lot of fun. He flipped me off when I was doing it. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, well. He caught me this time. <laughs> hey, I, full credit to him, though. He found this radio station. He changed my life with it. Oh, and so I was thinking about is, you know, because every song that came on was great. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, we need entrance music. We need something at the office that when we walk in every day, our entrance music plays. Yes. And I was thinking, what, what would mine be? <clears throat> what would my entrance music be? Hmm. Man, I don't even know. You don't think about this? I think about this every day. <laughs> I don't think that's normal. Well, that, that that's for damn sure. You know, 
This is not really WWE entrance music, but I frequently like to play. I, I stumbled across this. I don't know if it's a group or a radio station, but I stumbled across it on Spotify. The Echelon Effect. I was playing this the other day. Yeah. In the car. It's excellent music to write to. That music in the background, and it's just it's just music. What do you call that when there's no words? Instrumental. It's instrumental, but it's it's like inspiring music. But it's definitely yeah. not something that I'm playing during my WWE. That's fair though. You know, I I, I need ago, something that's way more aggressive for that. Yeah. Okay. So in in all, I might let you pick that. You're way better at that. That's why you think of that. Perhaps. Well. Okay. So. First of all, going back to the Echelon effect, there is a station on Pandora that I've listened to. I've listened to the Explosions in the Sky Pandora station. Explosions Ooh. in the Sky did a lot of the music that was on Friday Night Lights, which is just one. Like, if you're writing a book or you're thinking or something, you know, in fact, I'd be curious if we put this in the background in our meetings at work, if we would have more inspired conversation. Maybe. Interesting thought. But nonetheless, like every day I know when I'm driving to the office... I've got the same two or three songs on. Really? Oh, yeah. Every day? Yeah. What is it? Okay, well, one of them depends. <coughs> if if Joy is in the car with me, because sometimes, sometimes she'll just drop me off at the office, and then she'll go on to her office. If she's in the car, we listen to Dropkick Murphy shipping up to Boston. Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, I listen to Walk by Pantera. Yes. And then Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. Yes. And then at that point, I'm in a frenzy. I'm I am ready to grab the day by the throat at that point. That's intimidating. I, that's that's just the routine I, I Well, get. and then you you come into the office and like I gotta calm you down. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't hey, need am to I, strangle am I anybody. Really, am I really that aggressive? No, you're I not. I don't think so. You're not, but it was a funny story. No, but then, but then you know, then once I get going, then I have to turn on the Vivaldi, which is a complete contradiction. Yeah, there's but, that. But like, really, really getting it going, and so I wake. You're up, very cultured. I don't know if I'd go that far. Pantera, Vivaldi, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the wine collector listening to Pantera. I guess that's a little bit of a contradiction. <laughs> but you know, and then you know, I wake up to uh, to you know the sword and Iron Swan. Yeah, you have played. You played that for me the other day. Yeah, that that'll. That already, the, the neighbors love that when I'm outside playing that at like 3.30 in the morning or something, getting after it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Poor neighbors. Maybe they do have a reason to hate me. So, All right. This has been enjoyable. This is fun. It is. So if our listeners wanted to learn more about Raceway, about you, yeah. where can they find you on the... Uh... We're all over the place. Yeah. Racewaycarwash.com. We're on social... We need to organize this a little better. We need to get a little bit better at it. But. Raceway Car Wash on Instagram. Raceway Express Car Wash on Facebook. Yep. Raceway Car Wash on Twitter. And you're at? Timothy Barrett on Instagram. Same on Facebook. Yep. I think I'm like DM Tim or something like that on Twitter. I got to look. <laughs> I'm all over the place. And uh, on LinkedIn, they could just search you there. Obviously. Tim Barrett DM, two R's, two T's. There you go. Well, be, be sure to, uh, to give Tim a follow, give him a shout. If you are in the uh, Phoenix area, if you're in Southern California, if you're in Reno, Tahoe, or Dallas, make sure you uh, swing by 
Raceway Car Wash or Sierra in uh, Clean Getaway. Clean Getaway. In, down, I'm trying to go through through the we got a bunch of brands them. here. Yeah, there there are a lot of brand names under the working on that here. consolidation of the brands. We will, and there, and there are some reasons that it's not quite uh, <laughs> not quite there yet. Yep, but. Nonetheless, be sure to check that out. Be sure to follow Tim. Tim uh, on Instagram is a writer. You're a little bit of a deep thinker. I'm emotional. I I think it's very helpful. I think it's very beneficial. I enjoy reading it. Um, so be sure to like everything he he has to say. If you have questions, comments, queries for me, drop me a line, chris at leadingbythebook.com. You can find me LinkedIn, Chris Book, Twitter, Chris Book, and uh, on Instagram now, I believe it's Mr. Chris Book, which sounds a little bit pompous now that I say it out loud, but... I, I like that. I, I I was actually thinking about changing my my. You gonna go, Mr. Tim Barrett? Media. Yeah, it's a good move. Okay, I like it. Just just for consistency. What 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 if you did Tim Barrett CEO? No, pass. <laughs> pass. All right. Well, soon to be Mr. Tim Barrett on Instagram, but d- definitely drop us a line. Let us know if uh, you got questions. If you enjoy the show, be sure to spread the word, uh, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, guys.